Okay, so hello and welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. Today, um, I'm joined by Matt Wynn. Hi. And I'm here with Azak Kalasoy. Hello. Right, so I thought today it would be really fun to talk about some cucumber anti-patterns, um, particularly around Gherkin and the scenarios that we're writing. Um, so who has the first one they'd like to discuss? Me. Go, Azak. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm gonna, I'd like to start with, um, I think this one really describes all of them, but uh, from, a, from a very high level, I think you know, one anti-pattern for Gherkin is when you read it and it's bad documentation. What do you mean by bad documentation? Well, um, so I, I guess that the, um, the litmus test is take a scenario, show it to someone who isn't uh, familiar with uh, the domain, or only slightly familiar with it, show it to them and ask if them can ex- if they can explain back to you what functionality is this scenario describing. Can you give me an example? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. It could be so. An example. Well, one is like rambling long scenarios uh, that are, you know, 10 or more uh, steps with lots of incidental details that are not really relevant. Um, They don't really uh, express any particular kind of of business rule. It's It's just a rambling journey. Um, through how some kind of software application might be used, but it doesn't really tell me, you know, what 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 exact behavior I'm trying to verify here. Do you want an ex- like a concrete example? Well, exactly. I think like incidental details is a is a is a really important one, isn't it? You you see that a lot in a lot of people's examples where they they try to tell a really good story but all they do is overload the reader with too much information um, I'm trying well yeah and those incidental details ones though often the, the incidental details are there because they've actually written a test rather than documentation so they've added you know um d- given i uh, sign up as matt and my password is password and um m- uh, my password confirmation is password. Uh, where, when I check my bank balance, then my bank balance is $100. And the, the, the purpose of the scenario is to check the bank balance, and it isn't relevant what my password is. It's just that they needed to fill in something on the password form, and the way they wrote the scenario was thinking about it, like I'm scripting a test. This is what I would type in when I was doing a manual test, so therefore I've got to put that in my cucumber scenario. And that's an example of incidental detail. Yeah. And what, I think that's a great example, and I think it's, it becomes really hard for somebody who reads that to figure out what's the essence here, what, what exactly we're trying to test. You'd have to guess, you know, are we testing passwords or are we testing, you know, bank balance? Are we testing both? And I, th- yeah, I think that's another anti-pattern, you know, if you... If you one thing is that if you can't really tell which one it is uh, that you're testing, what rule you're testing, another one is that you're testing several rules at the same time. 
So, so there's there's two there's two problems with that then. So, so one is you're testing multiple things at the same time, but you're also not creating a document that communicates what you're actually thinking about at the time. So, it, it doesn't. You can't use this document to collaborate with someone to check if this is what they want to happen because it doesn't describe the behaviour of the system. Well, it does describe the behaviour of the system, but not in a way that makes it easy to digest because you have to do a lot of uh, reading between the lines trying to find out what, where the essence is. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. So, and so, so the essence of that particular example what it is it's trying to show yeah or it doesn't even have an essence (laughs) so that reminds me that reminds me of another anti-pattern right is where you um you give the scenario a either a bad name or uh like a uh you don't give it a name at all so a good place to sum up the essence of a scenario right is to is in the scenario title where you say, or the, the name of the scenario, so you say, you know, uh, check, check balance. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the name of the scenario. But if you miss it off or you've copied and pasted the scenario from the one below, um, or, you, you know, some people try and write out, like, what's going to happen in the entire scenario. So the, the scenario name is uh, sign up, log in, uh, visit, balance screen, and review balance. Is that the sound of you falling asleep? <laughs> well, sorry, I fell asleep. <laughs> it was just a really boring scenario, but yeah. Yeah. So it's good to so, use I mean, a friend's episode kind of naming convention for thinking about the name of the scenario where you go, you know, this is the one where the, the balance is positive or this is the one where the balance is, is in into my overdraft or whatever and that's the way you name the scenario and then in the given when then that's when you go on about like exactly how you you're going to check for that behavior and so uh, i guess no no scenario name or no scenario title um or bad scenario title also comes on to not using the front matter or the narrative section yeah well. yeah yeah i was I, I just wrote that one down this one as well yeah just not putting any kind of description stuff in there yeah, or just putting as a user, I feature check balance. As a user, I want to check my balance so that I know what my balance is. <laughs> Why yeah. are you laughing, Isaac? What's wrong with that? No, I think I think it's funny because it's it's you know it's just it doesn't give you any extra information um, about why somebody might want to do something or uh you know it's, it's just people are just trying to fill in this template that they learn at the scrum 101 course so what do you think they should do instead well i think i think one of the things that is useful to put in there is well first of all try and forget about that template try and put useful information for the reader um so that can be well one thing that i'm a big fan of uh is to put the business rules in um so you know what is what are the what are the abstract rules that those examples uh, are illustrating? So it could be, for example, that um, you know one rule could be that after you've made a withdrawal, um, the um, uh, that, that withdrawal should show up in your list of transactions, and then you can have an example to illustrate that. 
Um, but it's good just to get an overview of what the system does. It's good. I, I like to just have a bullet list of, of what the business rules are and then have the examples uh, make them more concrete. Well, we should talk, yeah. What did we say? Rules are good. Um, what else is good? Did we say like putting the questions, the uncertainty in there is good as well? Yeah, yeah, that's a, one, that's a good one. So like thinking about the feature file as a living document, and if you have a conversation about the story or the, the feature and you know that there are some business rules and you've come up with some examples, but you've also identified that there's some uncertainty, it could be really good to write those down in the front matter as well and check that into version control. Like this is a current our current understanding of this feature. We know this stuff. We've got these acceptance tests of it, but we also know that we don't know this other stuff. I really like that. But now, Matt, now you are moving into a whole new territory of when do you write the, the feature file, right? Because a lot of oh, teams... Oh, yeah, so this is another Gherkin anti-pattern then, isn't it? It's <laughs> writing one, it after the code. You know what I'm going to say. Yeah? yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one anti-pattern of Gherkin is that you write it after you've written the code. Uh, that's probably the worst anti-pattern. Um, but yeah. that's the anti-pattern that every, every single Cucumber newbie... Uh, adopts right and, and someone well, never realised that it's yeah. an anti-pattern maybe not every single one but very many very many um, yeah you write it afterwards whereas you know the the pattern or the, the recommendation would be to write the the Gherkin scenario before you write the software why why should you write it before you write the software ah uh, that's a good question well, well because I guess the, um, the the kind of blunt answer to that is that uh, you know, because Cucumber is not a testing tool, uh, but you know, I think of I think of Cucumber and Gherkin. Uh, it's, it is a testing tool, but it is first and foremost a tool to test your understanding of the problem domain. Mm. And once um, um, and once you once you've you know once that test passes, which means everybody uh, agrees on what, on what you've said in in your Gherkin scenario, now you can start implementing it. Um, and, uh, and then you can use the same Gherkin scenario to test that the implementation is correct. But, but you should really start by having it test your, your assumptions and, and your understanding. Okay, I just want to dig into that a little bit more, though. So how does writing it first help you test your understanding? What, 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 what do you do by writing it first that helps you test your understanding? Um, well, because people will, well, it assumes that you have uh, people with different kinds of perspective involved in in writing it or at least reading it. Uh, you know, a, a product owner or a, you know a business stakeholder uh, will read it with with one perspective, a developer with another one, and a tester with a third, and it just helps you. It just makes it easier for people to. To figure out whether they uh, whether they disagree of, uh, about something or whether there's something that's ambiguous, um, so having that very concrete description of the example before you even start developing helps you figure out if everybody has the same understanding. So, is it, is another anti-pattern creating the scenarios in isolation? I was going to say that that's the opposite end of the of the problem, isn't it? Is where the BA or product owner writes all the gherkin on their own in a Jira ticket. 
that's just as bad. And you, what you end up with there is is not just um, you know gherkin that doesn't represent everybody's common understanding, and you miss out on the opportunity to thrash out and expose all of the, those different misunderstandings. But also, usually, those gherkin scenarios that get written in isolation by a product owner are untestable. So they will have statements in them that just cannot be tested. Uh, I wish I could think of a good example of that. But they very often can't be automated without being changed. And then they they stop being the thing that the product owner believed in. Like they sat and write that those words, that was what they wanted. And now the Gherkin says something different. And pretty soon it just becomes a thing that belongs to the testers or the devs because the product owner is like, well, that's that's not what I said. So this is something else. Right. And there's also a big chance of, you know, let's assume that the product owner writes the Gherkin inside a Jira ticket um, alone in their office. And then the de developer picks it up and realizes they have to, to reformulate a lot of it so that it can actually be automated there's a big chance now that they are going to misunderstand or misinterpret something in their translation so that afterwards it's now it's incorrect have you heard um have you heard jeff Patton talk about um holiday photos yes well i haven't heard him talk so, about it. i've read it in his book read it in his book yes yeah. so, so he, he yeah so he 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 runs these um story mapping sessions and he takes photos and the photos are there really to remind the people that were in the room what they actually talked about it's interesting sometimes to people who weren't in the room but the 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 snap itself just is a is an aid to those that were there <laughs> i sort of think feature files can be a bit like that if you're creating those examples together and you're working with people to um to understand the software the the feature files they're probably a bit more detailed than a holiday snap, but they really work well to remind all the people that created those things together what they were actually talking about. I really like that metaphor. Yeah. So you should be able to just maybe just read the title of a scenario and then that will refresh something in your memory and, and you remember everything that you talked about uh, around this particular behavior of the, of the system. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you need to refresh your memory, just read some really, really, you know, three or four really, really clear steps uh, that, that uh, explains it in more, more detail. Yeah. So I, have another, so I think of another anti-pattern now, <clears throat> um, and that is when, so, so people do all of this collaborative stuff maybe, and, and they write, maybe they end up writing, um, you know, short and concise scenarios but they have a lot of user interface details in there like you know um, go to this url uh, click on this link fill in this field and that field and press a button and then expect you know to see something click um, this css selector well it doesn't even have to be that bad although that's that's an anti 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 pattern <laughs> like super bad but uh but it, you know just Talking a lot about the interaction with, with the user interface, I think, is, a, is an anti-pattern in itself um, for a couple of reasons. So, for, first of all, um, user interfaces tend to change a lot more often than the underlying uh, domain logic. Um, 
because the, you know there are new trends in UI and and you know you keep trying out different things just to please the users and high conversion rates and whatever. Um, and, and if you keep changing the UI all the time, uh, you know your tests are going to break and you're going to have a lot of effort keeping them up to date. Um, to, to, when your tests break because your corporate copyright copywriting um, standard has changed, that's not a great thing, is it? No, it's not, it's not a great place to be. And, and, and so they're brittle, but they're also incredibly slow, right? Because you have to. The only way to test them is now through the entire user through the, through the user interface, you know, all the way down through your domain logic and out to the database uh, and external services and back. And so it's just very very slow. So when you write your gherkin in this way, you are stuck forever at the top of the testing pyramid. There's no way for you to to go you know, further down and test things underneath the UI, which is less brittle and a lot faster. Um, and and this, there's a third reason why I don't like them. It's just because it's really poor documentation. Um, it's really hard. Let's say that it was about you know, this thing that we talked about earlier where you, you withdraw money and you want to make sure that you see uh, that, you, that you see that withdrawal in, in your list of recent transactions. Uh, if you describe this in using a different terminology, which is all about buttons and, 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 and links and fields and tables, you're not really explaining the, the business rule. So it just acts as really, really poor documentation, and that's a that's a. You you also don't learn your domain language is a point that Dan North's made before as well. So, using that that language of like clicking buttons and filling things in is just sort of generic domain language of any user interface. But if you say what it is that you're trying to achieve, like you know when I log in or when I check my balance or um, when I print a statement. You're having to use nouns and verbs that are from your domain, and therefore those nouns and verbs are going to be words that you're going to be able to use deeper down in the code. So you're starting to discover the the language of your domain rather than just using generic words from any domain. Yeah. And again, I think you know, in order to be able to do that, you, you also need to get into the habit of writing these things before you write the code and not after. Yeah, well, you get a lot more benefit from doing it that way because then you've come up with the words and then you, you can use the words in the code. Yeah. I've kind of got a slightly related to one to that, and that's scenarios that use um, I, as in the, the personal pronoun, a lot. I think that leads to similar kinds of things. You, you tend to talk about the user's behavior rather than what the system will do. Mm. Yeah, it's often also quite limiting as well because realistically, a system, uh, uh, most useful systems or most interesting systems, it require you know need to exhibit behaviour that is seen by multiple actors, right? So if you're building a social network, you need to be able to you know have Aslak uh, tweet a message. And Steve, who is following him, sees the message, but Matt, who is not following him, does not see the message. So if you start talking about, you know, when I tweet, blah, it's like, who are you? Are you Aslak or Steve or Matt? Um, yeah, I do it. I, I actually must say I do it quite a lot. I use the 
personal pronoun. But I, I kind of, when I remember not to, I think I find it more useful. Yeah, I, I do the same. I think, I think I, I did that a lot when I first started using Cucumber, and what, the scenarios I write without it tend to tend to be more interesting. Actually, talking of interesting, right? So there's another anti-pattern, isn't there? Is documenting boring scenarios, like given my bank balance is my bank account is empty when I check my balance, then the balance should be zero. Yeah, that sort of thing is yeah you need it on day one of the project but um you can end up with a lot of noise really in your documentation if that's all that you're documenting and or or you you've got lots of those kinds of tests that are just obvious um and they're really just there because you needed a, a full stack test to help you drive out your first iteration of the of the implementation so what do you recommend you do with those things then? Um, you know, you said you, you, you need them in the beginning of the project. What, what do you do? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, sometimes you can, you can throw them away if you trust that the behavior's not going to slip loose because it's been covered by other tests elsewhere. Yeah. Don't know. I think it's more I, about watching out for just only going on about those obvious scenarios and not looking for the... For for the 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 more edge casey ones yeah i'm a big fan of deleting scenarios um because like you said uh quite often those those that basic functionality will be covered by other by other scenarios that you write later and now you can either just delete those old ones that are now a bit daft or or at least you can rephrase them into something slightly more um valuable something like gives you even more valuable documentation and if you can't just get rid of them is 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 there any need to write that is there really a need to write those at the start of the the start of the project well not necessarily the start of the project but at the you know when you first start developing that particular feature um i guess no i guess you could you could start out right away with with something more interesting um, what was your example, Matt? When you well, the the obvious one where my my bank account's empty, I check my balance and it's zero. Right. Um, I mean, you, you could you could say something like you know that something to just verify that the balance is displayed, um, and then you would test. The actual, you know, that that is displayed as zero when, when it is zero, you can test that with a with a lower level test, like a unit test. Yeah. So, I've got a controversial anti pattern that we could talk about. Yes, I like controversial scenario outlines. Oh. Well, so I know lots of people like them and use them a lot, and they definitely have their place. Um, but they tend to result in lots of scenarios because it's really easy to add just another scenario, just another scenario. And that can that's one of the main things that can lead to a slow set of cucumber tests is if you're testing too much. Yeah. So oh, maybe overuse of scenario outlines is the anti-pattern. I'm railing back a little bit. I, I agree with you. I think it depends. So I have a rule of thumb for that. Um, 
if you're using if you're using uh, scenario outlines, don't do it with a UI test or or, or anything as slow. Um, so the I've got a great example for this, and this is this is this is at a real customer I work with. Um, they had it's an insurance company, and they they had this um, you know uh, calculation for insurance policies. How much how much is your how much is your premium, and how much it is depends on a lot of different factors about uh, how much you're insured for, um, how uh, what your history is like, uh, how old you are. Etc. 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 So they have lots of different input fields, and then some output fields, and they want to test lots of different combinations. Now you can test all of that through the UI, but really, what you're testing, it, what you really need to test, is just the algorithm that takes all those inputs and computes the outputs. Um, and I think it's fine to test that in a, in a Qcommon scenario outline, but only if you, only if you're able to to reach into that logic without going through the UI because you don't need to. This just makes it incredibly slow. Uh, of course, that, that requires you to, or the developers now have to build the system in such a way that it is testable uh, without going through the UI, uh, which again requires you to write the, normally write the scenarios before you write the, the code. But... Um, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think they're fine as long as long as as long as they're blazing fast. So, so scenario outlines combined with UI tests are, are a bad idea, or anything that hits like an external service or slow service. And, yeah, anything that's slow. Yeah, like you said, because like you said, it just it just adds on to to a very long execution time. Matt, you had another anti-pattern. Yes. Uh, I was going to talk about this, this thing where developers or testers write their scenarios without talking to business people. And this thing that you see where the, the example data is really sort of dry and dull. So like uh, given user one has an expired credit card and user two has a credit card that is valid – when user one checks their balance and it's just like user one and user two are just, you, you've come up with those example names because you can't think of um, a, a, a more realistic example. And that, that kind of thing usually happens because you haven't had that, that dialogue and the, the scenario you, you, you're losing out on a, you're missing out on a whole potential of, extra levels of communication so um jenny martin talked at qcup last year about how they use the same examples like right the way through from their sort of story mapping sessions and and uh ux um storyboarding and stuff all the way through to their unit tests like they use the same characters the same characters appear and reappear so the same um, prototypical users will, will appear and reappear and the same situations, the same scenarios will reappear. And I think that um, just, again, it's like just thinking about these as tests rather than thinking about them as a communication mechanism. 
you're really missing out. And you can really see when that's happening, when the example data that's being used in the scenario is really boring rather than being realistic. Uh, yeah, I think about like a, the domain of horse racing. And um, when I saw a team put in like an, an actual example of a real horse race where this particular betting rule um, kicked in and suddenly uh, the whole thing started to flow and, and it became a much more useful communication tool. I've got, I've got another anti-pattern, um, and that is to have, to have no clear separation between given, when, and then. Mm. Um, I see a lot of people struggle with the difference between them, you know, because to Cucumber, there is no difference. Uh, the only reason there is given, when, then is to make it easier for, uh, for people to, to write something that, is, uh, to, that reads better. But um, so what we say, right, is like, you know, given is, is your context, when is the action or the event, and, and then is the outcome or, or the expected outcome. But I like to use a metaphor to explain it. Uh, well, the anti-pattern then is that people say, you know, given, given when, then, and then I go back to when, and then back to then, and then back to when, and then and maybe another given. So were you jumping back and forth? And I like to think of given as the past, when as the present, and then as the near future. Uh, and the metaphor I like to, to use to explain that is, is going to the theater. Uh, so the, the given is, imagine you're sitting in your chair, uh, you're sitting in a seat uh, at the theater, and the, and the curtains are drawn, and... What's happening, or what just, or what just happened, maybe, was that there's a lot of stage workers on that stage behind the curtains. You can't see them. They are they're moving furniture about, and and maybe the actors are walking onto the stage, uh, and they're preparing themselves for for the act. That's the given. It's putting all of the right things in the right spot, and then when when the curtains are drawn aside, and the act starts, that's your when. Um, that's the, the you know there's one important thing that happens that causes and uh, something else to happen, and that something else to happen is uh, is the outcome. So yeah, so given is all of the all of the actors were walking onto the stage, um, which means you know setting up stuff in your database, uh, creating some objects, uh, maybe navigating to the initial web page. When is for triggering the important event and and then it's for observing the the expected outcome it's not complicated but people tend to mix them up a lot um and that just makes it hard to to reason about them i i, I like that you could you could kind of think yeah given given we've given given the balcony set is on the stage and Juliet is in the balcony when we open the curtains then Romeo should say wherefore out there uh no I was more thinking about when um when Romeo I think of the when as something that the actors do and and the then uh, I guess this is kind of where the where the uh, where the metaphor something that the actors say or do that's the when, okay. and the outcome is, okay. um, you know, what happens in the story after that as a result. 
Um, does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of where the where the theatre metaphor breaks down. I think I think it's a good metaphor for explaining what givens are and whens, but not maybe so much about then. What about multiple whens in a scenario? So not not just not just a when and a then and going back to a when, but an and on a when step. Is there? Is that ever a good idea? I think usually it's not a good idea, but there are, there are some exceptions. Uh, I think if the, if the when, uh, if both of those when steps are about the same thing, uh, then I think it's okay. So I'll give you an example. Uh, so so when, we, when we deliver our training, we work on this little social networking application uh, where people can shout messages or send messages. Um, so we have, so you can imagine one scenario where, where there's two people saying something and then you want to, to assert some kind of outcome as a result of that. I think then it's fine to say when, uh, when Steve shouts hello and implicitly when, and, uh, and Matt shouts, here I am. So that's two whens, right? I think that's fine because it's, it's really the same thing, just two different people doing it. Um, but if it was, if there were completely different events or, or actions, then that's usually an indication that you want to split this up in a different scenario. Because if it's completely different, uh, you're, you're probably describing a different kind of behavior. Yeah, that makes sense. But if it's the same, uh, you are describing, well, in this case, you know, the, 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 the shouting or the sending a message behavior. That's my take on it. I guess we could ask, we could ask the same question about thens. When, when, should, when should you have multiple thens in a single scenario? And when should you split them? That's not an anti-pattern. No it's, no, it's not an antipathy. No, it, it was just a. <laughs> yeah, I'm just joking. Um, so I think you should split them if you can, uh, because I think that just makes for much more. Uh, it means that every little scenario, every scenario becomes a small, little, concise little chunk. Uh, so one example is, or you can split it is I don't know. Let you, let's say you have a, uh, a like a retail system where you need to keep track of when people restore uh, or when, when, when customers return something they purchased right so after after you've um, after they've returned it what should happen well then the customer should get uh, should get refunded um, another thing that needs to happen another then would be that the uh, we send a message or that the inventory system is is incremented by one for that particular product. Uh, a third thing that needs to happen is that uh, you know we may we need to update the um, uh, the finance system as well. Um, and maybe a fourth thing to happen is, especially if this is a big shop, and you send a message. To someone in the warehouse to come and pick up that, um, you know, that uh, 
chattel that somebody returned. So all of these four things are different outcomes, but they're really, they can, it's much better to split them up uh, because that means uh, if you split them up, it's easier for them to illustrate different business rules, which they are. Um, and, and it's also much easier for you, uh, for the team to, to implement this incrementally. You know, they don't have to implement everything um, in one go. And also, if, if, if one of the, if we're talking about four different business rules here. If, what, if the first one fails, uh, you'll only know about that one, but the, the two or three other ones might be faulty as well, and you, you, you won't know because it failed on the first one. And is, is it true to say that we, we can split those because they have value independently? Yeah, and they're not intrinsically linked, right? Uh, you, you, they have value independently, exactly. But, there's, but there are other, other cases when you can't split them. Uh, uh, the obvious example is when somebody wants to withdraw money from, from their account. You know, one, one expected outcome is that uh, the, the customer gets their money, other, let's say it's an ATM, then, you know, £50 pounds should be dispensed. But another expected outcome is that the bank account is debited. Now, the, these things, both of them have to happen. You can't have one without the other. And in that case, I think you need to keep them in the same scenario. But if they're independent, you should split them up. So we've talked already about the end of the spectrum where there's too much detail, where this, the scenario is boring and even maybe like distracting to read because it's just got loads and loads of irrelevant uh, incidental detail in it. But the other end of the spectrum is where the scenario is so high level and vague that you can't really trust it or you can't really tell what it would actually do if you ran it. So it just sort of says, um, given an account uh, when I withdraw some money, then the balance should be the original balance minus the amount withdrawn, right? There's no concrete yeah. value in there. It doesn't say what my balance was. It doesn't say how much I withdrew. Um, it's, it's just like, it's just basically expressing the business rule, but using the given when then format. And yeah. like the extreme example of that, where you just, you're so abstract is where you just say, uh, given the system is turned on when I use it, then it works perfectly where you, know, you just have to, <laughs> you just have to trust that whoever implements the step definitions is going to know how to implement, then it should work perfectly. And yeah, I think that's another anti-pattern that you see happen. Maybe in that also in that sort of untestable place uh, where a team are just getting used to using Gherkin, but they haven't actually done any automation yet. And they're writing scenarios and they're really just using Gherkin as a way of expressing business rules rather than being concrete. And they've, yeah, they've just taken the lever a little bit too far towards abstract. It's, it's arguably a bit better than too much detail, but um, finding that balance between too much detail and not enough detail is, is a bit of an art rather than a science. And I think, um, yeah, yeah, teams shouldn't get too hung up about getting it perfect, but it's definitely a problem when there's not enough detail and you can't really tell what's going to happen under the hood. I think, and I think that's more, much more likely to happen, especially when you have 
product owners or business analysts writing writing scenarios uh, alone in the, in their in their office in, in Jira because they are not they're not they're not programmers or testers they're not really used to they don't know the implications of of writing it in that form. Yeah. Okay, so I think we've hit plenty of anti-patterns there. I hope that's helped everyone out there. Um, I'd like to say thank you to Aslak and Matt. Um, if you've got any questions or you want to talk about anything we've discussed on the podcast today, um, please send them to the Cucumber mailing list. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but that's I'm Steve Took, and that's goodbye from me. Thanks, Tookie. Thanks for listening. Folks out there, if you are doing the Gherkin anti-patterns, don't feel bad. Everybody does it. The only reason we know so much about it is because we've all done it ourselves. Uh, You live and learn. Thanks for listening. 